Welcome to the Royals Rundown Podcast presented by Royals Review. If you want to keep updated on all things Kansas City Royals, please go visit royalsreview.com. If you want to keep the conversation going with us, you can do that too. On Spotify, you can respond to our polls and question and answers. Connor wrote in on our last Wednesday's episode when we asked, who would you like to see get a chance at first base this season? And Connor didn't disappoint. He said, Prado every day for the rest of the year. Let's see what he's got. I'm a tad more optimistic than Greg. Well, Connor, being more optimistic than Greg Walker is a low bar sometimes. But <laughs> let's uh, let's know. meet the crew. Let's meet the crew first. First up, my lovely co-host, the man voted most likely to fail at the 999 challenge, Gre- Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, how you doing, man? What, what? I don't even know what that is. I probably will fail at that. I don't know what that is. Well, so it's it's nine beers, nine hot dogs, and nine innings. Got to do yeah, it. I, up. I hate beer, so I I would definitely fail that. <laughs> I can exactly give me hot dogs. Give me sodas. I'll knock it out of the park. Beer, no. Fair enough. It is Wednesday, my dude. How you doing? I I am the the dog in the fire meme, but I'm not saying it's fine. Ooh, yeah. I think uh, I think Jeremy's got some stuff to say on later on this episode. You're gonna want to stay tuned in for this one, folks. But next up, he's the man who would consume only craft beers doing the nine 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 challenge. <laughs> the one and only Greg Walker. Hey, Greg. Before you respond, rapid fire. Is Florida winning the College World Series this week? No. No. Oh, no. No, Wake Forest all the way. You're kidding. Oh, my gosh. You rat louder, Homer. They're playing LSU right now, actually. They just recorded the second out of the top of the first inning. So uh, I'm Heck too yeah. for that. So they didn't even make it to the championship yet, but you're that confident. No, it's, I mean, LSU would have to beat Wake Forest twice. And I understand that if LSU can find a way to get through this game, then they have Paul Skeens ready to go for tomorrow, which would be a huge edge for them. But I just, I'm not convinced they can get through this game. So in about about three hours, I might be changing my tune on that. (laughs) For now, it's absolutely got to be Wake. But listen, folks, if you don't want to be tuning into the Royals games, we don't blame you one bit. You got College World Series on the 24th, the 25th, and the 26th. You are just good to go. For three days of summer, then you have to go back to the Kansas City Royals. But guys, let's go ahead and talk about some Royals. Um, Jeremy, before you start firing off about a lot of uh, a lot of good points that our good friend Matt Lamar put out there, let's go ahead. We got to talk about some transactions. We're not going to get derailed like we did last time with uh, with Michael. <laughs> It was it was a great time, but we kept on going through one transaction and ended up talking about something completely different. Um, all right, few things. One, Matt Beatty, he did exit today's series loss against the Detroit Tigers. That was an absolutely ugly game, but the only uglier thing was him colliding with Samad Taylor Golly. in the eighth inning. That was uh, that was very scary to watch. Matt Quattrero did describe the injury as a, quote, non-concussive whiplash-type injury. I don't think that's any sort of medical diagnosis. I, uh, I'm i not very well-educated. head. Yes, um, unstable shoulders, unstable heads. Tommy John's is just unstable elbow. Maybe we could ask Chris <laughs> Bubich about that. How do, you, how do you think about that, Jeremy? Why? <laughs> oh man, Greg, what like what do you think of when you hear that injury? Non-concussive whiplash type injury. You're just making up words. Like, you're just, okay, maybe not. The, the words are real. You're just making up a term. Like, just go through a bunch of words that sound like a medical diagnosis and slap them all together, and bam, you've got yourself an injury. 
boom, that's it. That's that's the one. But um, he is day-to-day right now. Quatrero said he's doing okay post-game and will be reassessed on Thursday when you were listening to this. My favorite transaction news from today, outfielder Diego Hernandez is back. He is going to be starting a rehab start with the surprise Royals. If you don't recognize that name, that is okay. He um, he dislocated his shoulder in the very first Cactus League game on February 25th. Very much an up and rising prospect, the number 15 overall Royals prospect. So I'm very much looking forward to having him back. And then lastly, a little bit of uh, good, not so good news. Benny Pasquantino, he just got out of surgery earlier on today to repair that torn labrum. And uh, he had quite the. Did you all see the picture of him throwing up the peace sign with sunglasses on inside? It was, it was much, inside, yeah. <laughs> he's very much a vibe. Like that's uh, that's one way to do the the post surgery photo. You know what I mean? I got to tell you. So one time when I was, I think I was 16 years old, and I was playing with for my little league team, and the center fielder slid into my knee and tore a ligament in my knee, and I had to go to the emergency room. And uh, yeah, my team had my my little league team had collisions too, guys. Um, <laughs> so I had to go to the emergency room, and they gave me a Vicodin for the pain. And uh, sunglasses and a peace sign was about about where I was at when I had that <laughs> Vicodin. Let me tell you, that's that's how you were feeling at that time. Well, hey, that's uh, that's fair. That's fair. I had codeine after surgery, and that was whew, that was uh, something else. Let me tell you. <laughs> But um, all right, let's go ahead and move on from that. So, guys, honestly, if we were if we were recording this podcast last night, it would honestly be a fairly good vibe on the podcast. I think Danny Lynch had an outstanding start, and I think we'll be talking about that a little bit later on tonight. But that's kind of not what what's at the forefront of our minds. I at least want to give kudos to Danny Lynch who I will say did prove that a two-pitch mix can work in Major League Baseball. You just have to have good pitches, all right? That's what the other guy doesn't have right now. Listen, listen, listen. All right, Jeremy, the floor is yours, sir. There's a lot of off-the-field news that needs to be addressed about these Kansas City Royals, so please drive us. So... Matthew Lamar wrote an excellent article on Royals Review. I think I've gone on record before, but I'll say it again. He's the best writer we've got. Uh, if you came to me and you said, what's one one writer from Royals Review I should pay attention to? I would not name myself. I would name Matthew Lamar. Um, he is just tremendous. I always love reading his stuff. Today he wrote an article. The headline is, let me scroll up because it's a, it's a doozy. The entire Royals organization is a mess right now. And I feel like it's kind of a sequel to my article that I wrote during the offseason uh, called, which was titled, The Royals Are Becoming Villains, uh, and, and which I subtitled, The Royals Are Badly Testing My Willingness to Continue Being a Fan with Their Awful Offseason. Uh, as the season has gone on, we kind of moved away from some of that offseason shenanigans like, yep, didn't sign a bunch of free agents. That's That was the offseason. This is the season. Now we'll talk about how all the players are bad. Uh, <laughs> but... What we've ended up with, uh, as Matthew Lamar wrote, and I, I learned, I knew some of this stuff, but some of this stuff was also brand new to me. Um, we've talked about, you know, how bad the team is. Everybody knows that. 
We've talked about how bad the farm system is. It's it's ranked the second worst farm system in Major League Baseball. They have no top 100 prospects on anyone's radar. And so the team itself is in very, very bad shape. Like, that is, honestly, I was getting some 2005 vibes from the collision in the outfield earlier. That The 2005 team had more hope. They had a better farm system than this. They had prospects who were worth something. Uh, this team doesn't have those. But then... Uh, you know, we, we've seen the stadium woes and frustrations, which I've written about, which we've talked about. Uh, you know, with, um, we talked about the, the fact that they paid to have somebody say that, oh, it would cost as much to revamp the stadium as to build a new one, plus uh, accompanying real estate purchases and building. Uh, and, and we've talked about, um, you know, how the Kansas City Star had a, a pretty stunning article uh, last week or the week before about how the team was was not exactly making friends among the politicians, the people it desperately needs to be on its side for making a new, uh, for building a new stadium. They don't need the people on their side. They need the, the politicians on their side because the politicians, as we've seen in, in, in lots of other cities, can make it happen even if the people don't want it. Um, and, and they're obviously not making a lot of friends with people with the way they've been handling this either. So then we find out today that or we found that we found out, but we haven't talked about um, that the Royals are actually being sued uh, for negotiating. Uh, what's what's the term? Uh, without faith, basically, they're 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 making up things in negotiations with their employees and then backing away from them after they're tentative, tentatively agreed to, which is apparently illegal. I didn't know that, but it's certainly uh, sketchy in the extreme even if it isn't illegal. Um, and then Matthew also wrote about how, uh, you know, the Royals had the the baseball, the youth league baseball stuff going on in downtown and, and how that was supposed to be, you know, part of the RBI, uh, bringing baseball to the inner cities. And, and then after John Sherman took over, uh, a new executive was appointed who changed the wording from underserved youth to urban youth. And he claims that that's more inclusive. And I say that's bullshit. Um, excuse my language. Don't wait that clean rating. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, uh, we also did find out about uh, the Royals tried to make some promises about how they're going to work with the community as they build a new stadium to ensure that there's affordable housing and good paying jobs. And now they're flatly refusing to really talk about it. Um, they're, they're refusing to put anything down on paper. There was a protest at uh, Town Hall, at City Hall, I should say, uh, recently. There's just... There's not, there's nothing good, nothing good inside the team, nothing good, nothing good on the field, nothing good off the field. They do not have a single piece of good press going right now, though, I, unless you count Samad Taylor uh, with the walk-off win uh, on Saturday. That's it. I don't even think the Daniel Lynch start is a piece of good news because, man, two walks, two strikeouts. That's that's not exactly a dominant performance to me. That's a, uh, oh man, you were pitching against the Tigers and they don't have a very good offense. Uh, so just, just my, my rage meter is boiling over. I am very frustrated with this team. You know, uh, 
we can make fun of Dayton more. We can make fun of his prioritizing good people over winning baseball games. But at least I knew when I was watching those teams that, or at least I believed, maybe I didn't know, but I believed when I was watching those teams that I was watching teams of good people. You know, they may be losers, but at least they're good people. At least I could feel clean and, and, and not conflicted about rooting for them. I don't feel like I can necessarily do that anymore. And I, it's nothing about the players on the field, but the, the, the front off, Office and the the business off business side of things are just completely out of hand right now, and I put on your tinfoil hats because I got a conspiracy theory for you. I have to think that this is probably. I feel like the, the, one of two things. This has either been going on for a lot longer than any of us realize, and Dayton Moore was really good at keeping it under wraps, or. Uh, Dayton Moore actually did try to like do things the right way because we saw them do things like they were the only team during the pandemic to keep the entire front office. Didn't let anybody go. Didn't cut any minor leaguers. They said, we can figure this out. We can, we can afford it. We can move money around. We can make this work. And then we end up here in this situation where they won't pay their stadium workers a livable wage, where they won't go out and sign any free agents. And and we, we've talked about in the past um, that one of the good things that Dayton Moore absolutely did do for this team was he convinced David Glass that he had to spend money. He convinced David Glass, you got to go out there and you got to be willing to get some free agents. You got to spend some on scouting. You got to do something. You can't just do keep doing what you've been doing. And I have to wonder if – possibly Dayton Moore got fired because he wouldn't just yes man John Sherman on on all of this kind of stuff if he because we know that he was passionate about the Urban Youth League we know that he was passionate about being a forceful positive in the community and for making sure that his people were taken care of and that is clearly not happening anymore is it not happening because Dayton Moore's just gone and JJ Piccolo just doesn't prioritize those things or does John Sherman not prioritize those things and that's why Dayton Moore is actually gone I mean to your point in terms of like how the on-field product is looking it definitely does have like those mid-2000s vibes of like I have no idea the direction of the team is what the plan is right now but I assume, like, okay, baseball operations, yeah, they might be having a hard time there. But I figured in terms of, like, the rest of the front office and the business side and kind of the community and PR stuff and all that, I figured they were doing a pretty good job. And you're right, just, like, all the things we've seen over the last few weeks about their labor disputes and about how things have been going at the Urban Youth Academy, it throws all of that into question. And I have a hard time believing, like, it's falling apart without Dayton Moore. Like, he's been gone for less than a year. And I like company culture and those kinds of things don't just fall apart in less than a year because one guy leaves. Like it would take much more of a sea change, I think. So I really I don't, I don't think like that's the case, although I will give you credit. Pretty interesting theory. I'll definitely be uh, thinking about that a lot more. To your point, though, there's just there, there's so many poor things they've been doing in terms of PR right at the time they're going to be sticking out their hand to taxpayers trying to get money for a new ballpark. And so it's all just it is remarkable kind of the PR mess ups that are happening right now, given that I think the vote was originally supposed to be like this August to ask for taxpayer money. I think it's going to be pushed back to a year now because they can't seem to figure out what they want or what they want to ask the city for. So, I mean, it's remarkable. Like, yeah, the baseball operations have had problems for a long time, but the way that it seems like the entire organization as a whole just has a lot of issues need to sort out. It, it's dire. I mean, that's all I can really say about it. Like, I don't know how you fix this. The issues seem to be like just as deep rooted as it can get. 
if it was any kind of business other than like a baseball team, I would wonder if they were going to go under because of how poor the decision making has been. It's a baseball team. So I have a hard time believing that they, that that's even possible, but that's, that's how bad things are right now with their decisions on the business side. And when your business operates as part of a cartel, they don't just go under. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Listen, guys, I think that's the, um, you know, a lot of a lot of fans can be fans of baseball in the Kansas City area, but not a lot of folks are fans of what they're doing off the field right now. And I remember ahead of this upcoming season when, you know, we went through the drought of not signing a single free agent, much less a, a notable one or a game changing one. The point was like, oh, well, you know, John Sherman's not a cheapskate. He's done all these things for the community and he's a philanthropist and things like that. Jeremy, you you and I are both outside of the area, and I, I ain't gonna lie to you. I don't know of a of a single philanthropic endeavor that John Sherman has been has done directly, and that's that's me admitting it a knowledge gap, or just speaking to the point of it's not out there enough to know that he is a philanthropist outside of his bio. Um, there's yeah, there's just not a single good thing, and I think the most disappointing and frustrating part is it's radio silence from the Royals themselves, because that's almost giving it's giving way, I guess is the way to put it to all this stuff coming out about the union, about the Academy, about things, just other things going on. And it's, it's hard to feel good about this. It all comes down to communication and it doesn't seem like the Royals are doing that right now to me. You know, one of the, one of the things that people always talk about when there's pride nights, they're like, stop bringing politics into my baseball. But I tell you what, the politics of not paying your people of reorganizing your uh, inner city youth leagues and, and fields such that the the people who actually live there can't get access to those fields while people in other counties, which have plenty of fields. I lived in Johnson County. I remember uh, are, are there all the time. That's that's bad. That's not good. That's not a good look. It's just it, and it's it's politics. It, it 100% is what that looks like. It looks like we're choosing to to the politics of, you know, the, these teams are a higher priority to us for whatever reason. These uh these people are a lower priority to us. It's the politics of because politics is people. And and they're not treating people anywhere at any level as far as I can tell. They're not treating people well. And it's I it's just, I, how am I supposed to enjoy a baseball game when I know that the people out there working to ensure that the baseball game is as enjoyable as possible don't have access, don't have good access to water in a hot summer day in Kansas City? Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Jeremy, before we move on from this topic, um, are there any other details? Like, are, are you going to protest the team, man? Like, what's, uh, what's I, going I'm, on? I'm, we're, I'm working on something. Look out! Look out this weekend. I I should have uh, something for you. Okay. All right. Sounds like a plan to me, Greg. Before we move on, do you have anything to add in regards to this? Hey, you know, it sounds. It seems like, and it feels like, and I guess in some sense, it is really difficult on an, on an individual level to really do anything about this. To kind of share your frustrations with the team beyond just venting it on Twitter or whatever. 
But I mean, one thing you could do is just not give John Sherman any of your money, which if you live in the Kansas City area, just don't go to their games, which I understand. It's like, oh, it's fun to go out to the ballpark. But I mean, I went to a lot of games last year. I went to at least like 10 or 15 games last year. I went to a lot the year before, too, even knowing they would suck and having issues with the organization. This year, I've been to one because my friend just decided to buy us all tickets, and I haven't been to one since, and I don't plans to. So, I don't know. Find something else to do with your money, I guess. If you if you need baseball, the Monarchs play out there still. Yeah, you can go watch them. Might yeah. might be have a little bit more fun. Use I I've been to minor league games, and I got to tell you, I don't know about the independent league, but the minor leagues they know that the on field uh, attraction is not as attractive as it is in Major League Baseball. Um, so they'll do a lot of fun promotions and a lot of goofiness. And, and I expect independent league baseball is very similar in that way. Yeah, I imagine so. So first off, they have the dang Savannah bananas there, like the hottest thing in independent baseball. One of the most enjoyable, you know, sporting teams out there to watch. They had them in Kansas City. So if you missed out on them, shoot, I'd. I uh I don't envy you. And then also <laughs> most the, people did. Those tickets were damn near impossible to get. But that's that's the <laughs> there was thing. So much demand for it. <laughs> yeah, you can't say that about a Kansas City Royals game this year, can you? No, that can't fill up a quarter of that stadium. Never mind selling out. Yeah, exactly. And then also, I don't know if y'all were tracking this, the Cody and Gold garage sale that was going on this week to raise uh, raise money for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. First off, kudos to them. They raised more than $10,000 for the crazy. museum. So that's a, that's a pretty sizable chunk of change. But they were selling a package to go like watch a game in the owner suite of the Kansas City Monarchs. I was like, oh, hey, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, I thought that would be kind of cool. That, that's the other thing is that the minor league games are so much cheaper than big league games. I was looking at the uh, the Asheville Taurus, our uh, minor league team, I think for the White Sox out near where I'm living out here. And uh, you can get a dugout suite with uh, unlimited food, like all you can eat food dugout suite for 20 bucks. Oh, man, <laughs> that's a steal. You you can barely get a ticket in the outfield for 20 bucks, much less food at Kaufman. (laughs) That's true. Listen, I could go down to the uh, the college wood bat team. Literally, it's a it's an eight minute bike ride for me. And oddly enough, a former Kansas City Royal played there back in 2016 and 2017. The one and only Nate Eaton. Oh. Played, played for the Peninsula Pilots, but yeah, it's uh with discounts, it's three dollars to get in. That's what it. League is, what, what league is that? Coastal Plain League? I I believe so. I think they are. Nice. I guess it's right. a. I uh, I know it's a very old historical stadium, but I don't really know how their current team runs or anything like that. Honestly. All right, guys. Listen, we're gonna go ahead and take a quick ad break pivot back to some uh back to some on-field stuff i guess <laughs> coming up on the other side of this we're gonna be talking a little bit about mj melendez and all of the things kansas city royals stay tuned And we are back here on the Royals Rundown Podcast. Jake Milliam here with Jeremy Greco and Greg Walker. So, Greg, I do actually want to give you some more time to talk about college baseball here later on. Yeah, I know. I know. So uh, go ahead and prepare yourself for that. But, guys, it was – so I remember earlier on this year, I think it was in May when it happened, there were legitimate calls to, like, demote Bobby Witt Jr. to Omaha. Do you all remember those? 
Nope, but it doesn't surprise me. I mean, he he wasn't doing great. And yeah, that's, that's true. And th- that happens. Please, but, please name for me the Royals player who has played great all season. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Matt Duffy? Oh, no. No, no not him. Surprise Royals. No, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Um, but no, guys, the there are some... It's not on Bobby this time. I will say there are some legitimate points to be made to send MJ Melendez down to Omaha because the guy is looking rough right now, to say the least, through the month of June. Through the month of June, a 62 weighted runs created plus. Um, and even that's even with sort of good luck. A 317 Babbitt is, uh, is not bad at all. But a .08 ISO is just not going to get it done, and he is striking out at nearly a 30% clip while only hitting one home run across 61 at-bats. Jeremy, hearing stats like that and seeing him at the plate struggle so much, would you advocate for him to go down to Omaha, try to retool some things? I guess my question is, what is he going to learn in Omaha? I don't ever Nick Prado did. He's well, uh, that's another topic that we should probably touch up on. Cause I was looking at his stats earlier and yeah, you did. You did go ahead, Jeremy. Sorry. I cut you off. That's okay. Uh, yeah. So I just, what, what is MJ Melinda's going to do? If, if your argument is that away from the pressure, he might be able to figure out what he's, what, what's gone wrong. I'll listen. If your argument is, well, he still needs to learn something. No, he doesn't. He crushed triple-A pitching last time he was there. He, It's kind of sink or swim for him at this point. If he's not going to be good at the major league level, then he's not. it doesn't matter how many times they demote him to triple-A, you know? Um, but like I said, I'll listen if you want to say, oh, he needs time away from the pressure. Though, I'm unclear how much pressure there could be on a hitter on the worst or second worst team in the league where wins are not a priority. Just ask the the general manager who tells you that it's all about evaluation this year. But so, okay, here's my thing about MJ Melendez. I understood the concerns earlier on this season about the fielding stuff, you know, maybe just getting looks in right field every single day down at Omaha. I, I get that. But Jeremy, you're, you're absolutely right that there's not much that can be learned down in Omaha. I feel like because you, you see Nate Eaton crushing it down there for Omaha. You see Kyle Isbell having an OPS North of a thousand in Omaha. You know, what, what are you going to, you're going to have a minor league all-star and MJ Melendez. <laughs> Is that the help join Jorge Bonifacio? Yeah, exactly. But so here is, here's ro- one reason that I would advocate for it. There's a, a, we've talked about this before. There's a glutton of quad a outfielders in Omaha right now. Like that's why Jorge Bonifacio is down in double a, Northwest Arkansas, because there's no, there, there is that can't be a, the only reason Jorge Bonifacio is in double A. He doesn't belong there under any circumstances. It's the only reason, but he's a young budding superstar. <laughs> Preston Farr has changed my mind on that. It's a young 30. <laughs> yes. Very, very young 30. Just like Diron Blanco, right? Yeah. But 
there's at least if MJ went down, if he maybe maybe there is something going on in the locker room that we don't know about. Maybe he is putting more pressure on himself than there actually is. And maybe he just needs a, a breather. I don't know. I, I could advocate for that. I you know, one thing that just did occur to me is that there's pressure to perform at the major league level, regardless of the team's wins, because the fans get upset when you're not playing well and they start whining about you on the internet. Um, and if you're the kind of guy who searches your name on the internet, and I feel like if you're a baseball player, you're that kind of guy, um, then you're going to see a lot of negative comments. And those negative comments aren't going to be there if you're in AAA Omaha. You're, they're not going to pay any attention to what you're doing down there. Um, so uh, maybe that's a reasonable argument to be had. Maybe if so. negativity and pressure are an issue for you in Kansas City in 2023, <laughs> then you should not be playing professional sports. Uh, you like got this a point there too. I no, that is just ridiculous. Like th- this team does not have pressure. Like go play in the New York Yankees organization and no, see what that's going to be like for you. Like, come on, if you can't handle this kind of pressure, then you shouldn't be playing pro sports. It is, but. So I'm I'm playing devil's advocate here because New York is known for being a brutal sports market. There is something to be said, you know, anxiety, depression, things like that, that can manifest differently in different people. And so this negativity could could just be affecting MJ. That's that that's my two cents on it. I, mean, I imagine being the worst major league team in history probably has a kind of deleterious effect on everybody in the lineup. But still, I mean, at some point you have to not be striking out a third of the time. It was a, it was a, sh- oh, it was a book I was listening to recently. Um, the Wizards Handbook to Time Travel or something like that. I can't remember the specific title right now. I'll have to look it up later. But um, the the main character kind of has an epiphany uh, at one point where he realizes that, you know, sometimes once you start losing, you start believing that uh, you are you were destined to lose, that you're supposed to lose, that you deserve to lose. Um, and so I, I do wonder if that kind of has an effect on the team where they, they start to believe, man, we're bad. We're losing games and everybody on the internet says we're bad. And everybody in the, the MLB network says we're bad. And I wonder if they just start believing it and start beating themselves up even more um, of course, the only way to, to get through that is to just really tune all that stuff out and go, okay, you know what? I know I'm not bad. I'll, uh, we'll turn this around, but it can be easier said than done. That's true. Greg, do you have anything else? Yeah. To add? I mean, like, let's say you do, I guess, sundown MJ Melendez. What exactly is your starting outfield at that point? Like, I, I don't know. Is Dyron Blanco, yeah. Blanco the future here? I guess, like, if Kyle Isbell is healthy and ready to go, then cool. Edward Olivares, I know we love seeing him run around in the outfield. Yeah, so great. we should keep playing him out there. Drew Waters, who said that you probably shouldn't buy into a guy with a 36% K rate and a 25% hard hit rate? I did. And sure enough, he has like a 37 WRC plus right now. There's just not Gosh, a lot of good it. options to put in the outfield. At least. Hold it. At least Darren Blanco isn't running into anybody out in the outfield. I just got I got to give him credit for that. All right, that's true. Also, yeah, I forgot to mention our new right fielder, Matt Beatty. Shouts to the Dodgers legend. He's hurt now, so that's cool. Gotta love it, guys. A lot of a uh, lot of terrible well. things. Yeah, things are things are just going great. Hey, 
um, before we get to your college baseball, Greg, I do have to ask you guys there. If you're looking at the return timelines for a whole bunch of the injured Royals right now, there are a lot of guys that could be returning in the next couple of weeks. You got Isbell, um, Amir Garrett could be returning soon. Brad Keller could be back. Um, Chris Bubich is not coming back anytime. Jeremy, no, just to remind you. Why do you have to bring that up? <laughs> he likes gotta, to hurt me. <laughs> I, I like to cause Jeremy pain. All right. That's the, that's the goal here. It's the relationship uh, we have. It's fine. It's like, I, I, I'm sorry. Jacob. <laughs> oh my God. Greg, just talk about college baseball. I forget oh, what I was even going to talk about. I can, I can spend hours talking about no, that. No, so. no, 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 no. Listen, so um, I wanted to use this as, honestly, before you talk, I wanted to use it as an opportunity to announce um, we will be interviewing Kansas State's Nick Goodwin on the podcast next week. So you will be getting that in your feed in the middle of next week. So please stay tuned for that. But Greg, you, you, we already got your World Series or your College World Series, excuse me, prediction. Are there any other of the major prospects that have impressed you more in Omaha? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, the the guy that probably jumps out the most, not just in Omaha, but in the tournament in general, that's probably like around the Royals range that I could see him going for is uh, starting pitcher for Florida, this guy Hurston Waldrip that I think I did mention last week as one of the prospects we'll see in Omaha. Like, he's really – he's pretty much had his best stuff throughout the postseason, both just in regionals and super regionals and in Omaha. He's, he's been pitching at the highest level that he has for the entire year, which is interesting because, like, last year he was a really good starting pitcher for Southern Miz, transferred to Florida. Kind of shaky throughout the year. Like, the peripherals are still really good. Like, he was still punching a ton of dudes out. But he's also a little bit long ball susceptible and still had a pretty inflated ERA. But he started just throwing his secondaries a lot more, and all of a sudden he's just carving out there. Like, he has a disgusting splitter that's probably, like, easily the best splitter in the draft. There's not like that many guys throw splitters. But also has a really good curveball, a slider that probably he'll ditch in favor more with the curveball. And a fastball that I'll admit, the fastball is suboptimal in terms of its shape right now, but it's got good velo, and there's at least like the foundation you can work with to kind of turn it into a quality pitch. So he's a really interesting guy that might be in that Royals range, and he's just, he's been outstanding in Omaha, which my other guy, Rhett Louder, he's really not been at his best in the postseason. His command's been a little bit shaky at times. He's had some longer innings. He's still been good, just not like the dominant guy that he was earlier on. And then, I mean, Wyatt Langford's been awesome, but the Royals aren't taking him. He's going, he's going to go like third overall. Is he really? Sorry, I thought he was a little bit closer to that uh, to that five six range. Uh, like it depends on how you view the prep bats, which I'm just always going to fade prep players, and I think he yeah. should go third. Like he could he could go first a lot of years. I think it's just there's two guys ahead of him that are like almost generational type guys, and Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz. So I imagine he's going to go third. I, I'm just fascinated to see like the direction the roles do decide to go this yeah. year because like I I think they should draft college bats just because I don't think they can develop pitchers and they shouldn't try. And, like, you can go for a prep bat, sure, but I just don't know if I like the options that are probably going to be there at eight for them. And I'm also not that optimistic about them developing prep bats either because, like, you know, we see Bobby and Nick Prado and MJ, and it's like, on one hand, did every single prospect evaluator in the entire industry just miss on these guys, or do we screw up on their development or what? Don't know. But I just – I think college bats are generally the way to go. 
like highest floor at the very least. I understand they don't necessarily have the ceiling that you might be looking for, but I mean, there's there's going to be some good options up there in terms of that. If you're looking for a college arm, outside of those top three, top four, it gets dicey really quick. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see if they're like that desperate for a college arm in the first like two rounds, then they might pull the trigger on a guy like Waldrop or Louder. No, nah, it's uh, it's time to go, Jacob Wilson. All right, that's the, the, the that's the one way to go. At, <laughs> I, mean, I, I like Jacob Wilson a lot, but I'm just biased because I've actually seen him play in person. So that's the only reason. I was sure you were about to demand that they draft you. L- listen, Jeremy. In my defense, <laughs> there's like three players with the name J- Top Fifteen. I think. Yeah, all this might have dropped out of the top fifteen. You know what? Yeah, you're you're actually right. Where is he? Holy cow! How far did he drop? Yeah, sorry, you had like Jacob Wilson, Jacob Gonzalez. No, I'd like I thought he was uh dude, I'm I ain't kidding you. He's not even like listed in the top fifty anymore. Okay, he's 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 in the top fifty somewhere. Yeah, it's I I must just be missing him. But yeah, no, there's there's some some top tier MLB prospects this name, bearing my name. So don't you forget about that, Jeremy. Where are the Jeremy's at? I mean, come on. They yeah, are. I can't think of any Jeremy's in this class. I can't think of any Greg's in this class either. So you know, we're both kind of well, at least here, a good company then. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I no, but I think you have like the best player bearing your name amongst all of us, Greg Sheffield. I can't think of a good uh, Jeremy or Jacob. Gary play. Sheffield. Oh my gosh! <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's not. And I was just going to go along with it. I was just like, sure, Greg Sheffield. That's a guy. (laughs) I got Greg Maddox on my plate, though. So at least there you go. Yeah, there there you go. I got got Jeremy Otho and Jeremy Giambi. How about a Dirty South? I got Greg Holland also. That's true. That's true that you do. Yeah, yeah for, no if you're if you're interested in some prospects, the Rollers might draft. I have been writing them up on Rollers Review. I've already covered both of the Jacobs, as well as Enrique Bradfield Jr. I have a piece about Matt Shaw that's going to come out. I assume the day this podcast comes out, because I assume we're putting this out tomorrow. Sure. So, uh, yeah, the Matt Shaw piece might be up by the time you're listening to it, and I will be writing about a few other guys as well between now and draft time. It's only uh, about three weeks away, I think. Will yeah, one of them be cool. our Jacob? Can no. you can you give us a quick no. review on our Jacob? Yeah, sorry, I don't have any film. You don't you don't want to see my 90-foot split, guys. You don't want to you don't want to see that. I'm pretty slow out of the box. I mean my, my sprint speed is pretty good. That's the only tool I have. I'm a one-tool player. <laughs> hey, speed speed plays anywhere. All right. All right, guys. Hey, let's go ahead and end this on a good note. Why don't we go ahead and talk about some Royals review reviews? So, Jeremy, I would like you to start us off today. What you got? All right, uh, I am going to go ahead and I am going to say, you know, I mentioned this uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to throw it out there again just because it's really good and I feel like it doesn't have a lot of marketing behind it, so I want to give it whatever I can. Uh, Primo on Freebie slash Amazon Prime. Uh, it's a show by um, Mike Schur, who who did The Good Place, uh, Community. I think he did Community. I know he did Parks and Rec and The Office. Um, just a lo- bunch of good comedies. Um, and Shea Serrano, who is somebody I follow on Twitter. I don't even remember how I ended up following him because I, I, his interests and my interests do not cross. 
but um, he's just a really positive, really cool dude. So I keep following him. And uh, the show is is about a teenager who lives with his mom and his five uncles are at his house constantly um, and just lots of shenanigans. It's really fun, heartwarming show. Uh, and I, I just want to see more of more of it and more like it. So I'm, I'm going to keep beating that drum. Hey, sounds like a plan to me. Greg, what you got for a review this week? Uh, before I get to that, Jeremy, did you happen to read Grantland back in the day? I I've read articles from Grantland, but I I can't think of anything in particular. I'm gonna say that's Shay Serrano used to write there, and so maybe that's where uh, I found him. But uh, anyhow, uh, today obviously I'm gonna review what we might call a uh, a malted alcoholic beverage made Ooh. with the hops and barley and such. I have here <laughs> from. Tavoli Brewing Company in Denver, Colorado, the Outlaw Mile High Light Beer. It's, it's very odd to call it a light beer given that it has over 100 calories. So I don't know how exactly that works. It has 105, and so it's still pretty light, but uh, not exactly what I necessarily expect from a light, light beer, right? Imagine how um, many calories it would have if it wasn't light. True. Geez, it might have even doubled that. The date on the bottom is March 15th, 2023, and it just says elk season, so I don't know if that means that's when it expires or not. But if it is, that might explain why I don't like it that much. Like, I don't know, it has a kind of sweetness to it that I'm not really a fan of, and so maybe it's just bad. I don't know. It was $9 at the beer station for a 12-pack, so that's why I bought it. Greg, that's probably why. Well, I didn't order the package. So. We get expired beer. What are you doing? Well, it was cheap. I was wondering why it was so cheap. I, never... <laughs> I was like, I've never, I've never seen this before. i got to try this like $9. Sure. So, yeah, maybe I'll have to find a fresh one to try, but, like, a, yeah, expired outlaw would not recommend. <laughs> do not drink the – newsflash, Greg says, do not drink the expired beers. They're yeah. not good. Hey, you no. can drink You can drink expired beer. It won't, like, you know, kill you or anything. It just might not taste very good. Oh, it tastes terrible. Well, not, not with all beers. If it's, like, a Miller Lite, it's three months past, so it'll be, like, whatever. It might taste a little bit stale, but that's fine. If it's, like, an IPA, then it'll probably taste Gross. I feel like what you're telling me is that Miller Lite doesn't taste good when it's fresh. Yeah. To each their own. I think it tastes really good, but I know a lot of people disagree. Well, I I like bread, but I don't like stale bread. You know what I mean? I don't like stale bread because of the texture, not the flavor. True enough. True enough. Hey, by the way, Greg, I was wrong. Jacob Gonzalez is uh, 15. I know he he dropped out draft boards because he was like a top five potential pick at one point, but like I didn't think he dropped that far. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I I just missed him. Um, All right. From my review this week, my, my lovely wife has been making sure that I watch through new girl on Hulu um, with Zoe Deschanel and a whole bunch of other folks that make me go, Hey, I remember them from that one show or movie. I know that person. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a very good watch through. I think we're like a season and a half away from it ending. So I don't know if it's a terrible ending or not, but very, very relatable show, I guess. Right now it's currently like set in 2016. So that's uh, that's kind of a weird blast from the past, which it's weird to think that 2016 was seven years ago now. Mm. Very, very eerie to think. <laughs> Jeremy, I just saw some things flash before your eyes. <laughs> no, don't like that. No, it's been no, almost a no, decade. Don't like that at all. Over five hundred. 
Oh my god! <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> all right. Listen, everyone out there, that's Jeremy Greco. You can find him on Twitter at Hakaius, and that is Greg Walker. You can find him on Twitter at Greg, not Craig. You can also find their social media links down in the description of this podcast. That is going to do it for us tonight. Please follow us on Twitter at Royal Rundown Pod. Also, keep us in your podcast feed by subscribing to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We have episodes every Monday and Thursday with some surprises in between. I'm Jake Milham. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And until next time, go Royals. Mm.